0: club we've got the need the need to podcast this is episode 41 american made from 2017 i'm joey lewandowski and i'm mike manzi mike we are guestless today we had a uh, another scheduling issue we're going to have our guest back on either top gun 2 or mission impossible 7 i guess whichever comes out first probably top gun 2 who knows when that'll be supposed to be out this summer but you know it, the, the world reshuffles the deck sometimes <laughs> yeah plans change so american made Cruise's next to last most recent penultimate movie crazy if I don't know how that's not exactly the right thing but he's only got one more movie after this we're covering next week Mission Impossible Fallout then we will be caught up on Mr. Tom Cruise. But Mike, before we get into yes. what American made, you know, our favorite parts, least favorite parts, here is what the plot is about. And this, I I basically wrote down almost a full page single space, and then I basically halved it. There's a lot going on here, I think. Again, shouldn't be a surprise. The movie begins in 1978. Cruise plays a bored pilot named Barry Seal, who's looking like he's Maverick, all grown up, kind of, even though it's before Maverick, but just pretend it's the, okay. Domhall Gleason plays CIA agent Monty Schaefer, or maybe not, who knows? Who is Schaefer? He recruits Cruz to the CIA. Cruz is married to Sarah Wright, who plays Lucy Seal. Cruz's work includes taking pictures of insurgents, becoming a bag man for the CIA. He also partners with the Medellin Cartel. Oh, yeah! To <laughs> <He's laughs> smuggle cocaine into the U.S. The cartel gets busted and Cruz is arrested. Gleason saves him because Reagan wants a war in Nicaragua and they need Cruz. Then, looking down the barrel of a raid, Cruz moves his family to Mena, Arkansas, overnight. Cruz then becomes arming freedom fighters, or what the what the U.S. wants to make freedom fighters, to Nicaragua with AK-47s. He also starts flying the Contras up to the U.S. for training. Really, he's bringing the guns down to his cartel buddies, getting paid there, getting paid basically by everyone. Cruz begins playing everyone with one goal in mind, get really rich really fast. Things go well, but they go too well. He has too much money and too much attention. Lucy's brother JB, played by the incredible Caleb Landry Jones, shows up and causes some trouble. He gets arrested, and after Cruz bails him out and gives him an ultimatum, he's killed in a cartel car bomb. Eventually, the CIA gets tired of the Cruz headache. Basically, Ethan Hunt has gone rogue, and they're tired of dealing with it. The CIA, ATF, state police, and FBI all converge to arrest Cruz at the same time. He then kind of does his Jack Reacher thing as he tells everybody he's going to get freed. He's leaving. He's right. The White House and also Governor Clinton future president, Bill Clinton, uh, bail him out, bust him out, so he can help them prove the Sandinistas in Nicaragua are the ones dealing drugs. The trip starts off rocky, but things go well, but then his face is shown on the nightly news, as Ronald Reagan tells about the crack epidemic or the, the war on drugs. The feds then raid Barry's place and he gets sentenced to a 1,000 hours of community service, no jail time. Cruz then begins motel hopping, living a life where he's afraid to start his car, recording his tapes that have been playing sort of all movie long, telling a story until he gets killed in his car by hitmen sent by Pablo Escobar. Dom Gleeson, his next bright idea is to get Iran to arm the Contras. I'm sure that'll turn out well. And that's American Mate. Nice. Good
1: summation. Nice going. Oh, boy. Yeah, there is a lot going on. Once again, I mean, it wouldn't be a Tom Cruise movie if
0: there wasn't, like, a whole lot of shit happening. And it wouldn't be a modern Tom Cruise movie if he wasn't dating a 33-year-old leggy blonde. <laughs> but we also have uh, Doug Lyman back directing here, which I totally forgot about, which is great, right? Yeah, man. Back from Edge of Tomorrow. It's it's a real, it's a nice partnership between him and Cruise. I think it works really well. I think that yeah. in both those movies, Cruise seems to be having fun. Playing a little off-type in both movies yes, as for well. for sure. There seem to be two different kinds of cruise movies lately, in this decade, kind of, right? In the last decade, there's either the ones that are not exactly surefire hits, where things don't quite align... Or ones like this that sort of feel like a perfect summation of his career? Like this kind of feels like a distillation of like a lot of things that he's known for all kind of jam-packed into one specific part, one specific movie.
1: But this is definitely that kind of role, right? Like that kind of sort of biopic, that kind of like... I mean, it's very Charlie Wilson-esque almost. Like it's very sort of like we got to find a big star to play this guy. Like this, this story in particular is like so incredible and amazing and stuff. You need like an action star to kind of jump in these shoes to make it feel a little more uh, interesting or or something like that. But yeah, I, I loved it, though. I love basically, like, just about everything about this movie. Like, I think I, sort of, leading up to this one, I was sort of hinting that it's one of my favorite Cruise films.
0: Yeah, so what do you love about it? What's your
1: favorite part of American Made? I mean, there's so many, like, great moments, but, like, I just love, like, right off the bat how the movie sets you in a time and place, like, so perfectly. Like, this is a period piece, but it's only, like, the the late 70s. It goes a long way in showing, like, how much has actually changed, or, like, aesthetically, you know, With, like the logos right out, right out of the gate right when the movie starts and maintains sort of the look and the grain of that era of film and I feel like it tries to emulate that type of filmmaking along the way. Um, I love how this is sort of one of those black ops movies again, you know, again, like Charlie Wilson's, like, this is just, like, a. a it seems like it's been declassified recently, and so, like, yeah. now we can learn about it, uh, so, like, all the espionage, and it's fun and funny as hell. You know, it's not perfect, but, like, I just love so much about it, and think, like you said, like, it's almost like this perfect storm of Cruise, of, like, all the things that he's really good at crammed together. Like, almost, th- I almost thought it might be Overload. Coming back to it, just for my second full viewing, like, I didn't feel that at all. Like, I really enjoyed it again, front to
0: back again. So this is, I don't know if you know this, but this is, you know, in terms of the declassified nature of this all, do you know this is like the third time or something, that, at least the third time, that Barry Seal's story has been told? I absolutely did not. This is the first time I ever heard of it. <laughs> so in the early 90s, there was an HBO movie called Double Crossed, and he was played by Dennis Hopper. Whoa, okay. In 2016, The Infiltrator, he was played by Michael Paré. The important thing, I think said in both of those, or at least specifically The Infiltrator, is that Barry Seale looked nothing like Tom Cruise. He was a big, heavy-set guy nicknamed El Gordo which huh. a.k.a. the fat one. That's what the Medellin cartel called him. <laughs> and Barry Seal was slightly more accurately embodied by Michael Perret in The Infiltrator.
1: I wonder yeah. if that was a joke in this movie when they're on the runway and he looks in and there's that big
0: fat guy in the oh maybe. co-pilot seat and he's like, this yeah. dude's fat as hell or whatever. <laughs> this guy's fatter and fuck. Either I fly the big fella or I fly your product. That's
1: interesting, though, because, you know, like, I didn't question for a minute. Like, I didn't go look and Google this up. Like, it, it fell into the territory for something that you kind of... uh um, enlighten me about a couple films back when it comes to based on a true story is that it never went beyond the point of disbelief concerning the limits of this character. Like, it never... You know what I'm saying? Like, it set up a character to the point where, like, he never did anything that I didn't believe would have been done in real life. Like, I actually considered this to probably be toned down, if anything, and whatever was made up was sort of legit to the character's traits and all that kind of stuff anyway. Him not being portrayed like a big fat guy or whatever, El Gordo or, or El Lardo or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm, mm-hmm. cool. I'm cool with that because everything else sort of like falls into place for me,
0: like cinematic. I mean, I have to. I have to imagine that's absolutely true. Like, this is the kind of movie where you watch it and it's fun for most of the time and you're having a good time watching Tom Cruise basically become rich overnight and just you know, pull one over, like he's, it's basically like Uncut Gems, like Adam Sandler Uncut Gems, he's like mortgaging, he's like robbing Peter to pay Paul, he's like, all right, I gotta get this money over here, so I gotta mortgage this necklace, but now the guy wants the necklace back, so I gotta get another necklace, then mortgage that necklace to get the necklace back, and like, he's like, just always barely one step ahead, but not quite, and you watch it, and you're like, God damn it just like stop just stop just stop like <laughs> but like you have enough you have more than enough like just pull like stop people don't know everything about you like go into hiding like you know Sarah Wright wasn't excited to move to Mena Arkansas and then you build her this palatial estate like you could do the same thing somewhere else like just get out of there but then you think it's kind of like the the Walter White the Heisenberg thing where it's like once you begin down a path you can't there's the ego there's the addiction and you just got you to know, see it through to the end and it's fun to watch but at the whole movie i'm just like st- you have enough <laughs> it is it
1: it does fall into one of those t- categories of like i am nerve wracked like pretty much this entire film because like uncut gems well that movie more so because that takes place in sort of a shorter time period it's way more condensed and everything like that what I think is interesting about this film is everybody on every level is like that so when it comes to the cartel they can't stop right and therefore Cruz can't because they rely on him and then the government can't stop what they're doing because they're greedy as hell too and like you know they want their war and this and and he becomes this guy sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place right like he can't stop, or else, like, he's gonna get killed, but if he keeps going, he's gonna get killed, so, like, you just end up watching this guy get bled out, like, over the period of of the movie, of, like, the course of his life, just, like, you know, sure, he's got, like, you know, had the time of his life, I'm sure, but, like, cut short
0: brutal and dramatically. It really comes to a head at the end where no matter who you're looking at, whether it's the cartel sending guys to kill him, whether it's Damal Gleason basically saying burn him, we're done with him, whether it's the guys who are like celebrating that they got the pictures, but they're like, oops, didn't mean to share your face on the news. Sorry, man. Like, nobody cares if he lives or dies. He's just a pawn yeah. to the end. Like, he thinks he's the king of this world, and yet everybody's just like, oh, no, he's just the guy who does our dirty work. Like, we're not going to get touched. <laughs> like, we have a fall guy. We all have a fall guy, right? Like, yeah. the cartel doesn't have to do anything. Like, they just, you know, make the cocaine or I don't know, gift, harvest the cocaine whatever. Then they're like, "Cool, you do the rest." And the drug dealers like, "We don't have to go get them. Like we get the drugs, we do the rest." And it's just like Tom Cruise is almost taking all the risk in all the places, but he's viewing it like he's the got the upper hand that he never does. Like to your point, like he's always like he's hemmed in at every corner, like he's always got his back against the wall but he thinks he's the smartest man in the room. Like, he thinks he's Ethan Hunt, but he's not. No, no, he's not.
1: He's a, he's a dumbass, and his wife knows it. Like, what do you know about business? That sounds made up. Like, he he's literally the fall guy, and then he falls for the story from the pitch. I love how well this movie is just, like, told from his character's perspective, too, to the point where, like, we start watching videotapes of him. Like, I think that's a very clever way of doing voiceover, too. But, like, he's one of, like, the probably like the least reliable narrators in film history like who knows like what is real and false at some point like the lines are so blurred and everything like that it's what makes this movie great but like you know when it comes down to it you know i've realized that watching this time he's just like this two-bit smuggler you know like he from the jump doesn't realize like the cia has him by the balls because he's smuggling like cuban cigars or whatever like he doesn't realize, like, he's not off the hook for that from the, you know? And, like, I think he thinks he is. He's like, oh, I'm on your side now. It's like my blue heaven. Like, I'm undercover. I'm working with you guys. Like, I'm on the job. And then, like, at one point, I'm Hall Gleason's like, you're not. CIA you're dude not like CIA, no he's like you don't work for us man like we don't know you you're disavowed or whatever <laughs> like yeah he's got like these delusions
0: of grandeur that are just like beautifully sort of translated i also do want to make sure that i say the exact line cuz you keep like unintentionally cleaning up the lines when she hears about the independent aviation consulting sarah righteous says well, that sounds fucking made up, Barry. It's just like, yeah, you're, you're just a dumb, like, that's, it's not even, he's like, it's not, it wasn't his decision, right? That was Donald Gleason. like, here's your company, and he's like, oh, cool, like, all right, my whole company, and he, she's like, well, this is clearly fake, like, what, who
1: are you? Like, you're so dumb. It's cool, man, like, I, if you, I think I brought up the film Blow before, also, that Johnny Depp cocaine movie have you seen that film
0: yet a long time ago
1: that sort of falls into this same category and i love and and even boogie nights i feel to a degree where it's just like the excessive can't get enough of the nature of all that and then it all comes sort of crashing down around you and you realize like oh shit like i've been living in this fantasy land and like now i've got to run for my life oh no (laughs) like those kinds of movies are very um i like those kinds of movies a lot Pretty enjoyable.
0: I do want to give a special shout out to both Sarah Wright, uh, well, especially Sarah Wright, because she is incredible as Cruz's wife in this movie. I knew her from, there was a show on NBC for one year called Marry Me. It was a show where Ken Marino and Casey Wilson were getting married. Did you see the show? Do you know about the show? I've heard of that. I've heard the title, but I didn't even know Ken Marino was in it. Yeah, it's Ken Marino and Casey Wilson. Like, I think getting, like, preparing for their, I think in the first episode they get engaged or whatever, and the rest of this thing is just getting, I think, I don't remember exactly. I remember being very funny. I remember really enjoying it. But Sarah Wright plays Casey Wilson's, like, manic best friend, and she's great on that show. So when I saw this in theaters, you know, two or three years after Marry Me ended, I was like, oh, shit, like, I love her in this. I also really, really love, and I wish that she was in more, at the very end, the state attorney general, Jayma Mays, like, she's <laughs> great in everything, and I, I'm bummed that she only has one scene. To that end, you know, not just her, but, like, Jesse Plemons only has a scene and a half, right? Like, oh, there's so many people yeah. in this movie that are great. Caleb Landry Jones doesn't have enough. I know. Like, is, I know this is the Tom Cruise show. Every other part that's filled out, like, they're all great. It's tough,
1: because, like, I feel just by the nature of the story, like, the time setting—we're not going to get a lot of strong female characters. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, it's just America at that time, which sucked. Uh, also, it being such a cruise vehicle, we're not going to be able to get people like Caleb Landry Jones or you know him and the sheriff. Like, they—they they could have stolen this movie with their, uh, you know, hands tied behind their back. Like the two of them in a movie together, I wanted God. Like when they're on screen, it's just. One of my favorite moments. What can I say? I don't know. But, like, you can't do anything but waste that kind of talent in a film like this because it's just such a cruise explosion, I feel, from beginning to end. But it's great that they're here. I'd rather have them than not have them, than have, you know, someone I can't recognize. 100%.
0: 100%. I'm trying to think what my favorite part of the movie is. I don't know that I have a favorite part. Like, I think this is the most fun you can have watching a movie that's basically the start of the crack epidemic in America. Like, it's like, this leads to terrible, terrible things, but, like... Man, is it fun to watch. Yeah. There's two little things that I really love. Uh, One specific... I mean, okay, there's one thing I really love. It takes what we saw in The Mummy to the next level, to literally the next level. It's Cruz. Okay, so this is... I know exactly what you... I know exactly. (laughs) There's a little bit of wordplay here. All movie long, Cruz is telling me stories... He basically is narrating his autobiography to these tapes where he films himself in these motels as he's motel hopping, essentially the, the final month of his life, right? It's like January and February 1986, right before he dies, before, before he gets killed on February 16th. So if you know when he dies... You know exactly what these things are. Like you, you could probably assume based on just having seen movies. I also do wonder. So like he writes, he hand writes on one VHS like CIA seventy seven or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But that handwriting looks very similar to the title cards that come up. I wonder if Cruz hand wrote those title cards oh, too. Oh, Cruz font. That'd maybe. Be so he's narrating all this thing, and he's saying at one point, he's like, and I apologize that this is maybe a little graphic, but he says, I had my fingers in every pie on the rack as he's basically sliding his hand up his wife's leg on a plane. Um, And I'm like, oh, okay. And then she gets on his lap while he's flying and they're having sex. And I'm like, this puts Han and Giselle making out on the Autobahn machine. (laughs) And then they hit turbulence and they go in a zero G and they're basically like, they both reach climax. I will clean it up a little bit while they're weightless. And I'm like, oh my god. And apparently, according to Doug Lyman, he said the idea for that love scene was his idea that he received the inspiration after he and Tom Cruise collided in the cockpit while filming a flight scene. So <laughs> Doug Lyman and Cruise bumped into each other and he's like, I got it. You and your wife are going to have sex in the cockpit. But that also feels like, to your point from earlier, even if that didn't happen, that's absolutely something that Barry Seal yes. would have wanted to do.
1: That's a great moment. And that like, personifies this guy so much, too. And it's in the middle of that amazing montage As well. I think it was like 1982 or 3 or something like that, where shit was just like off the chain and, you know, he's rolling as hard as possible and everything. But that's awesome. I also, oh, you know what? You know, another movement sticks out like that, too, amongst like all the great ones when he's coming back sort of later in the film and he's by himself and the DEA charges him to land. And at first, they're sort of like doing like a Last Jedi thing where they're like outrunning him by going slow Mm -hmm. and waiting for him to like run out of gas. But yep. then they get a slow plane, and he's like, land immediately. He's like, you want me to land right now? Okay. And he just nosedives into the suburbs and lands on a street like with yep. a bunch of houses yep. and stuff. And that's where he crash lands, and he like hops out of it, and he's covered in coke. And he looks yep. like a snowman or something. And he's just like digging money out of his bag, and he's giving it to these kids. He's like, "He's like, this is for you, this is for you, this is for your bike. And he just like, gets on some kid's bike. And he's just like peddling away like covered
0: in cocaine leaving a plane filled with cocaine and probably guns and probably money just in a residential neighborhood like he's above the law but he doesn't realize that he's above the law until the end it's a very strange precarious situation where he's in but again fun to watch yes exactly and part of the character like he's yeah
1: because later when he that's right because when he finally gets caught they just let him go right so like if he did technically just get himself caught the first time it would have saved all this aggravation, but he's, you know, he's kind of a dumbass, so, like, he doesn't, that's not the way he thinks, and that's a great way to sort of personify that sort of mind that he's working with.
0: <laughs> now, I have a lot of other little things that I really like about this movie that we can get to after this, but is there anything about this movie that you don't like? Do you have a least favorite mm. part of American Maze? Is there something about this that doesn't work for you? So, I don't think there's
1: any, like, specific moment. I think we talked, and I think we'll bring back up when we get to sort of most wasted role, uh, that might be a debate this movie, to be quite honest, because there's, like, the wife, the sheriff, and the and the wife's brother. Like, there's three characters right there who are, like, really, really great, you know, strong possibilities that are never really um, satisfied for me, you know. Uh, the Caleb Landry Jones character probably gets, like, the most... Uh, arc or something or conclude or maybe the maybe the, maybe maybe the wife where she just like goes back to work at like the chicken shack or something but like- but that's
0: only at the end I think that like mm-hmm. I think Caleb Blanchard Jones like for the fact that she's fourth lead right because there's probably Cruz and then yeah. Dommal Gleason and then Pablo Escobar and then her the mm-hmm. like, Caleb Blanchard Jones is no better than fifth and he I feel like he. I mean just knowing him as the actor when he shows up you're like oh boy this is they, all right this is bad Like, guess it's, it's already bad like right like yeah, it's yeah. bad from yeah, the beginning yeah, yeah. and so i don't know if he has an arc but he, at least he has like payoff right like it's like right. there's things that come to a head he does things that are like oh no like he just steals the money and he buys the gremlin like all this stuff that just attracts attention even though they're not flying under the radar he's still doing it wrong. Exactly. And I think the only other thing,
1: which isn't like a major thing, but um, as much as I love how fast top speed and fast paced this movie is, I think it goes, in the beginning, I think it goes a little too fast. Like, I really wanted to see them explore a little more of like the pilot celebrity thing because it kind of got me thinking of like um, you know, Leo in Catch Me If You Can where it's like, oh yeah, like pilots are like still revered and I mean even I'm sure at the end of the 70s that was like coming to a close and all, but like I wanted to see just a little more of before he got recruited, right? Like, maybe more of his family life, maybe more of, like, his um, wheeling and dealing on the side to sort of survive a little above his means, stuff like that. Just because when Hall Gleason does recruit him... It's like all he has to say is CIA and that's it. And like, I I, well, that's like, I get it. That's cool. And it's kind of timely. I just wish there was a little more because I'm not sure exactly what the inciting incident is in this movie. There's like several in a row. I think it's when the cartel finally comes to him and says, you're working for us now. Because then he has to sort of play both sides. And then the movie sort of kicks off for real and gets into like full gear. But that first sort of like act still feels a little sort of janky in places to me, you know, if I have to really like dig deep and and think of something to come up with.
0: And I think that a lot of that is kind of masked by just like the kinetic energy of the filmmaking, like oh, the yeah. opening yeah. that you're talking about where it like kicks back with the throwback to 70s music and it goes from the modern Universal logo to the old Universal logo, which is something that we've talked about on Oblivion. Remember when when Universal did it yeah. there, mm-hmm. when we talked about it in Happy Death Day. Joe and I talked about it on Too Fast, Too Forever for the Cannonball Run. I think Smoking the Bandit has one, like just the little touches that just like, oh no, like you can play with everything in your movie. Like you don't have to just have the Universal universal logo and then like that's part of your movie do something with it and so between the music and the quick cutting and like the almost like the office parks and rec like zoom in on like a reaction like there's a lot of that kind of hand tally like mm-hmm. quick zoom it's just like it feels docu style sort of but it's not yeah. but it is right and i think a lot of that like those flourishes kind of smooth over the fact that like we don't really know a lot to what you're saying about where he was before this all goes down,
1: and it's okay because I think they rely on style a lot to sort of get you in your place. Like there's a very sort of French connection feel to a lot of the like the look of this movie as far as those sort of like punch in zooms and things like that. I think that's where I sort of first noticed where it's like, oh, they're like shooting this movie like a documentary over like a fly on the wall yeah. kind of thing and stuff. And so you're right, they they have to do a lot, and there is a lot of information to convey. And this whole movie is basically just like new exposition every scene right so yeah for what they've got to do it's amazing like how well they've done it anyway so that's why I just you know I, I definitely give them
0: wherever they trip up a little bit to begin with just it ends you know by the end I'm just so satisfied if I have to pick something that I don't love I think it's Part of what I've been saying, I mean, there's there's two things and they're neither, I think one is a personal thing and one is more of a thing that's similar to yours. The personal thing is just like, it makes me feel uncomfortable, which I know it's not the movie's fault. Like that's kind of maybe, but I just, like, I want to see, I want to see movies without consequence, right? I want to see a movie where like he just succeeds. He's like, yeah, man, I'm the king. And then the movie ends. It's like, yeah, he is the king, right? Like it's, (laughs) it's kind of like, I know that that's not a movie. Like that's not, there's no conflict there, but like you have that. And then it's like, Ooh, like just guys, stop. Just like, I just enjoy what you have beautiful wife, kids, beautiful house, maybe get rid of Caleb Landry Jones. Sorry that he died, but like, you know, he's kind of trouble, whatever. Just enjoy what you have. Like, I, that that's uncomfortable. Like, that's what I don't like about it. But I think more to your point about not knowing where he is, I feel like because the movie, like you said, has to have so much exposition, we don't always have, and also this movie's not crazy long, right? Like, it's an hour 45 without credits, I think, probably. So it's mm-hmm. a bit, pretty normal, tight-ish movie you know especially compared to tom hanks jesus christ but anyway (laughs) i feel like we don't know enough about it feels like he gets both smarter and dumber as the movie goes on he gets like more world like wise the world but also like more cocky i guess that makes Mm -hmm. sense but i feel like we don't really see growth we just see the effects of the growth if that makes sense right he's just like Mm -hmm. like i don't think we establish why he's able to pull that jack Reacher move like where he's just like I'm going to buy all you guys a Cadillac because I'm going to walk out of here. And they're like, no, you're not. And then, like, I don't know that we know. I think it's maybe that he assumes that he's important and maybe that's enough. Mm -hmm. But I feel like there's – we don't have enough of, like, a trajectory for him. It's almost like we're skipping. Like, it's great as hits. It's like, okay, here's this thing. And then here's this thing. And then here's this thing. And I think by doing the title cards with the year and with, like, what he's doing – kind of smooths that over, but I would have mm-hmm. liked a little bit more maybe smoothing between to show how he gets from point A to B to C to D.
1: That's interesting because it, it didn't really occur to me, I mean it did, I, I think, while I was watching it um, but not to not to really comment on but like, he doesn't really change as a person. He goes from being bored to like, being over busy like, too busy, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, to never bored again for the rest of his life until he's shot. Him as a person never really changes, it's just like I said, like he just, he goes from being bored to busy. There's nothing like wrong with that when Tom Cruise is playing that character and he's able to really bring that to life and keep you engaged in that for as long as possible. But I can see where that is sort of like a failing because the movie never does really take a beat and rest and sort of like breathe, which is interesting. I never really considered that. And and it's also really weird too, now that I think of it, is he not supposed to tell his wife what he's doing for a living and yet how how is she partying down with Escobar sometimes, and then burying money in the yard, and then kind of surprised when the cops are like banging on the door? You know, there's a yeah. little foggy logic going on with a lot of that too. But then again, like I think they also do a really smart thing where if we ever question Doug Lyman, you could always kind of go, well, you know, he's a very unreliable narrator. This guy, right? Right? Like, would you, you know, would you believe half the shit he told you? Maybe not, but like
0: it's a great story. An issue that I have not with movies like this because I don't know maybe. maybe movies like this but if you if you look at a traditional biography right where it's like if you tell a story like okay like walk the line or whatever or like a movie where it's like uh, usually about musicians at least that's the one i'm familiar with where it's like this is them as a kid this is them when they're breaking into the business this is when them at the heat the top of their powers this is the inevitable decline this is like after the decline it's like this movie is two hours and it covers 80 years and it's like that's impossible. But then you have a movie <laughs> like Lincoln or you have a movie like Selma where it's like this is about a specific event in their lives and it's basically a biopic but it's not really like it's not about Abraham Lincoln's life but it's about that one part in time. Yeah. It's not about Martin Luther King's life. It's about his walk on Selma, right? Like it works because it tells the story of that man within the context of like a specific like a, a career or a life-defining event, right? This is more like that first part where it's it's not telling the entire life story but it's telling like eight or ten years in two hours even though that's more condensed it's impossible to tell that full story and i think this does a better job maybe because there's less time to cover or because so much of it's just like an acceleration it's not like going from like crazy thing to crazy thing like all like disconnected like everything here clearly leads from one to the next. But I still feel like there's a little bit of that chaotic, biopic kind of thing. I don't know what I'm looking at, but even though I even though I know, I don't know what I'm looking at. It's almost like kind of caught in the middle in a lot of weird ways
1: because like we don't know this guy. So I could have used sort of like the teen years, like a scene of him as a kid, maybe like what was his home life like and all that kind of stuff. But yet it's doing sort of the Lincoln thing where it's like we're just going to focus on this sort of like five, six years of his life, like the time where he became like the runner or the, right. uh, the influence. Trader or whatever they call them in the tv movie or whatever so it's it's tough it's like it's like a mix of the beast like i, I don't know but i think they pulled it like how else could you really do it like i i mean whereas like i would kind of like a videotape like since we're doing like in the movie he's doing this motif of all the videotapes and stuff like they maybe could have cut in some whole movies of him as a kid like a little voiceover of you know, that kind of shit. Done it that way. Snuck it in in a clever way, but make it be sort of a mechanic of a more traditional biopic as opposed to one of these just like moment in my life versions kind of things. But
0: To the same end that you were saying before, like this is not something that breaks the movie for me. I just think it's something that could have been maybe better. Although I don't know how you do this really. I mean, I don't, it's not easy to do. If it was easy to do, there'd be a lot, a lot more movies would be a lot better, right? Like it's yeah. hard to do this kind of thing.
1: What would they do with an extra... 20 minutes, half hour in here, you know, like, all those things we mentioned kind of slow it down, right. and, and is that that's not really the movie anymore, and I think, like, for what they wanted to make, I think they nailed, you can feel like this is what they wanted to do, right, yeah. like, they're not really yeah. concerned with the things we're sort of bringing up, and, like, that's kind of cool, like, I like that they know what they're doing, and I can feel yeah. it, yeah.
0: So some other things I want to point out, little things about this movie. So the opening, when there's the Jimmy Carter quote that's talking about for the first time in our lives, you know, people think that the next five years is going to be worse than the previous five years, right? That whole thing about like just the, the changing thing. That strikes a chord with me because that is the quote that David Ehrlich used. I love David. I, I probably talked about it on Cruise Club. But at the end of every year, IndieWire film critic David Ehrlich makes a video montage of his 25 favorite movies of the year. And that was the quote that opened this year in movies. And I don't I don't, I don't think I remembered where it was from. Cause I was like, oh, shit, that's this, that kind of line, especially like how David Ehrlich used it. And I think it also could apply here. It was the beginning of the Trump era. And I think that there was a lot of unrest. And I feel like it was timely in that way and I don't know if they added that in for this or they just framed it for you know what I mean like Mm -hmm, it could be in mm -hmm. any number you could read it any number of ways it just to me personally I'm just because I've seen that montage probably 40 or 50 times right because I love those things and I was like oh that's from this cool this is an extremely political movie without even
1: trying like and, and it's not trying to be it just inherently is by the nature of the players involved you know when you're dealing with this on this scale globally and stuff so yeah i like it's interesting that i didn't i never felt it being preachy or anything like that but it's just funny when you see like they show a clip of bedtime for bonzo and then they show the gipper and then they show him shout in, out it, monkey club exactly and then they show him in the oval office it's like hi
0: hey. <laughs> yeah that's like a big short level of distillation of history just like you think you could tell the gipper that he couldn't have a war that he wanted good yeah, luck and like yeah, he, just, yeah. he, he makes a he creates a war that everyone was like don't do that. Please don't do that. He's like, we're going to war. It's like, well, no, stop it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, in like, what is that, probably 45 seconds, maybe a minute, it just tells that entire thing yeah. almost like, you know, Margot Robbie in the bathtub, right? It's just like, let me explain this wildly complex <laughs> thing to you so you have the context for the movie, right? And yeah. Ooh, in the very beginning, Crew's causing turbulence because he's bored. Like, oh. his co-pilot's asleep or whatever, and he turns off autopilot, and then, like, he yanks the thing. It's like, sorry, folks, a little bit of turbulence. Just, like, Also crazy. shows, like, what a great pilot he must be. Like,
1: that's what I also got out of that, is, like, he is able to do all that without batting an eye or whatever. Like, he's half asleep, and we see him, you know, as a character. Like, the piloting he needs to be able to do is pretty top-notch anyway, so I was like,
0: wow. It also shouldn't come as a surprise that because Tom Cruise is a licensed, qualified pilot, he did all of his flying scenes in this movie. Oh, okay. I figured. Which, <laughs> yeah, I mean, other actors are like, oh, there's no way, like, that's just, you know, a double, they're pulling the car or whatever, but with him, it's like, if you said that he wasn't flying the plane, I'd be like, well, why not? Right? He's so, he's
1: mostly in a car with wings, like, it's a little, it's not a little, it's one of those like biplanes, you know, yeah. uh, mostly, so, like, I could see him, I mean, we could probably have learned to uh, flown one of those in our lifetimes, like, I, I could never never trust myself behind a jumbo jet.
0: I do like for this movie, another movie in a row where Cruz gets his ass beat when he <laughs> uh when he's down with the cartel and Are you missing a tooth, Barry. <laughs> and then yeah, and then he goes home and his wife's like you're missing a tooth. He's like yeah, don't worry about it. We got to move. We got to move. He doesn't wind up winning and again, I I kind of glossed over in the intro, but he dies again in this movie. He doesn't really win, but he kind of wins until he loses. Yet he still gets his ass beat. I guess by either the criminals like the other the fellow inmates in that jail or by the cops when they arrested him right like look at this stupid Mm -hmm. gringo like yeah but he has to he has to take that beating but he had to have like like, that's like
1: you know as far as the movie's telling us you know most of the rest of his life was lavish and very
0: good (laughs) so he had to take like that one beating as far as the movie goes like wouldn't you like if you had all that money and a beautiful wife and like all the money and like all the power in the world and like you had the CIA in your back pocket I would get my ass kicked once for that, why not? Yeah, for sure. yeah, I lose one team. I also think it was a very meta moment where the Freedom Fighters—he brings all the guns. I'm like, we don't give a shit about guns. We want your sunglasses. And I was like, oh, of course they want Tom Cruise's sunglasses. Like, that's very <laughs> iconic. Like, how could you not? Great catch. I don't think I caught that. I don't think I, I. Yeah, I
1: definitely did not think that watching it.
0: We also have two shots, and I think this is something you brought up in a recent episode. We have two shots of Cruise's butt. Like, is he just showing his butt oh, as he gets older? He mooned us in this movie twice. Though, for, for,
1: for, <laughs> but one, one was like intentional wasn't it and one was just whatever but like once he like literally moons his wife
0: yeah (laughs) let's see here he's reading al capone's biography which is not really necessarily i mean i guess it's hubris there too timely as this as we record this a couple Mm. weeks ago as this comes out because there's that new josh trank al capone movie with tom hardy which is apparently not
1: good no i can't wait to see it i
0: like when cruz goes to the bank and they're like let's show let me show you something and he's like look at this auxiliary vault we're buying or we're building he's like oh you're we're doing this for my money, he's like, no, 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 no. This is for the rest of the town. You get the main vault. We're like, oh, yes. like he's got a lot of money. That was great. thought i recognized that bank
1: teller for something probably like a marvel thing or something or other but i wish he as well had a bigger role because i thought like for sure the bank manager and tom cruise were gonna have like a couple scenes together they must have filmed a few but it looks like they filmed a lot more because they like so much of this is montage together which i'm I'm not complaining like i love it i think it's really well done
0: but like it feels like they took a lot of full scenes and clipped them down because there's that local cop or whatever who's like in some i don't know what he is he might be ATF, You might be whatever, like, one of the guys. There's that guy who's, like, doing this paperwork and he's like, there's a lot of money in Mina, and like, is that just so that they have another office converging on the, the the hangar? Like, it doesn't yes. feel like he has he, he gets a short shrift, <laughs> too. That was so weird, because I thought that was the accountant for
1: the CIA, but it turns out to be the accountant for the FBI. He's in town tracking the money, going like, what the hell? This town's blowing up. But we, you're right. We get, like, two, three shots of him, and then he shows up, like, 20 minutes later, busting him at the hangar again.
0: So, like, they definitely oh. cut out his whole storyline. <laughs> so you have him in the office getting the assignment. You have him getting it into town and seeing like crazy sports cars drive by while it's like this like podunk little town and then you have the FBI show up and it's like well we didn't need those first two scenes like you could just have like I don't think anybody would bat an eye if, like, we didn't see the FBI investigation and then the FBI shows up. Like, we don't need to know that he's wanted by the FBI. Like, we can just infer that he's doing lots of bad shit. Like, everybody knows. (laughs) Of course course they do.
1: It's also funny, too, after the fact that he gets pissed that um, his brother-in-law buys that shitty little gremlin car, but yet, like, it seems everyone working for him is... In, like, American Muscle, like, just, you know, cruising down the block while, like, you know, homeless people are checking for change
0: in the payphones. <laughs> <laughs> and what I what I think is very funny, maybe not very funny, but funny, is that Caleb Lantry Jones is the only person in this movie doing, or the only one on our team, the criminal team, right, who's doing honest work, like he's sweeping up, he's doing all the bitch work, he's doing all the grunt work, all the Charlie work, and he's not allowed to, like, reap the benefits of his labor because, like, his sister, Cruz's wife, says no? Like, it feels weird. I mean, I I know he's a screw-up, but I feel like you maybe could have, I don't know, I guess he was always going to screw up. Well, I mean,
1: he might not even have been that much of a screw-up. I mean, he ends up being one because he, you know, it seems like he's not really... I don't know. It seems like like Tom Cruise, like he has made up his mind immediately. But yet, like if he had just you know shared the wealth a little, maybe why couldn't he have bought him a modest car or given him you know? know a couple extra bucks? Then then you he know? wouldn't have had to have stolen an entire suitcase. But once he gets it, he yeah, his judgment is not
0: the best. Just walking into a diner with a. Briefcase full of money. What was he
1: gonna do? Buy everything on the
0: menu? I don't know. (laughs) He like he grabs like a wad of money, like way too much money for whatever he wants, and then he goes back to the car and gets the entire briefcase full of money, where money is sticking out of it, and it doesn't feel like it's sticking out of it to like let the audience know what's in there. It's like just because he's a mess, right? So I don't know. Right. The only other note that I wrote down, and there's some trivia, is that at the end, when Cruz is like at the White House, basically, and they're just everybody's around him and they're trying to figure out what to do next, he's like, "Why am I in the room? Because I'm the Gringo that always delivers," and I'm like. All right, cool line. That's the the line. (laughs) Oh, so this is funny. So Tom Cruise, director Doug Lyman, and screenwriter Gary Spinelli all lived together in the house that was used for filming. They all did daily chores, and Cruise obtained a separate section of the refrigerator because he didn't want his food contaminated by Lyman's, quote, junk. So Wait, I they it, lived they just, in the you know, pink house? I guess so. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's kind of amazing. This is the first Tom Cruise movie in nine years since Tropic Thunder to be R-rated. Yeah, I was thinking that too. Like, this pretty hard R. So right now, if you want to, I mean, I think you need a cable subscription, but if it's this is free to watch on FX now, which is a service I had never used before, but I just oh. instead of paying four bucks to rent it or whatever, it's on FX now, you have to, valid, you have to ver- validate or verify in the beginning because it's like the same voice on FX, just like this is rated TV MA language, text, like it's all is like this blah, 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 like all these different things that are like, you're about to see some really dark shit. Like just like <laughs> get ready for it. So yeah, definitely a hard R there. Was
1: it on Watchmen where there was like the the parental oh, warning. warnings, yes mm-hmm. <laughs> it went on
0: forever and ever <laughs> so I mentioned Sam before who plays his wife she's 21 years younger than Tom Cruise because of course like naturally I feel like that's also the Vin Diesel Dominic Toretto like where he's playing 15 years younger because he can kind of pass for it but not really but I was
1: thinking too it's like back to that pilot thing where it's like trophy wife because I'm a pilot just because you know it's a thing but also like he had he was living the life like it's too bad I mean obviously he was bored and shit but like He could have taken up a hobby and stuff, but it seemed like he had the perfect life before this all went down. Like, I would almost have been like, if it was me and and Domal Gleason was like, I caught you smuggling cigars, I'd be like, how much time do I
0: have to do? Because I'm not coming to work for you guys. That never works out right. I mean, his wife in real life was very pretty, but... I mean, she's not Sarah Wright pretty, but also Sarah Wright has the benefit of, like, professional hair and makeup, and you know what I mean? Like, but here, yeah, yeah. I'm going to send this picture to you. Oh, what did you think of Cruz's slight accent? I liked it. I mean, I think also in that in that vein, we also have him speaking Spanish, and I also think this movie yeah. did a really interesting job of not subtitling easy Spanish. Like, it feels more natural that, like, we all pretty much understand what these words mean. We don't need to subtitle. Like, he, you know, when, they're still, when people have to recite things, like, you know, they're like, all good Barry? Like, all good Barry? Like, good, Barry. like they subtitle the second time, because he's like, I don't I didn't pick up on it. You know what I mean? But I think this movie smartly treats, you know, language and accents pretty well.
1: What is this Answers Africa thing you just said? No,
0: oh, that's Barry Seale's wife. Oh, okay. In okay. real life. Oh, she's not blonde at all. No. The only other trivia that I have is that Damol Gleeson's father, Brendan Gleeson, was in both Far and Away, Mission Impossible 2, and Edge of Tomorrow. So this is the fourth time yeah. that Cruise has worked with Gleeson, just the first time he's worked with domal Oh, and he was also in Paddington 2, one of your favorite yes. movies. Yes, yes. We just watched the original Italian job for Too Fast, Too Forever, oh. and it feels like there's a prison in that movie that like is basically the Paddington Two prison. And I was like, Joe, I don't know, I don't know if it's the same prison, but it looks like the same prison, and like it's where Mister Bridger's like dancing through, and I'm like, it's a song and dance number. Whenever they're in that prison, it's just like this is just a wonderful, I guess, a wonderful prison to be. Patrick McGowan as the warden. <laughs> oh man, so good. All right, so Mike, very important question: If Tom Hanks were cast in this role, do you oh. think Tom Hanks could play? Barry Seal, or if not, where who could he play?
1: I actually think Hanks could have played this if they made this like around the time of like Apollo. If they made it then, definitely could have pulled it off. I think it's a little too late. I think just Cruz has the benefit of being, you know, a little bit of like a cyborg, a little inhuman, just like being in peak physical condition at all times. Oh, there is a
0: joke. There's a joke, um, just sorry to interrupt, there's a joke He's on right. the series finale of Brockmeyer. About Tom Cruise because it's the. the, Do you know about Brock Meyer? Are you watching it? Do you are you familiar with Brock Meyer? Uh, it's the Hank Azaria show, but I haven't seen it. Right. Yeah. So he's a sports announcer, and he just starts in like he like he has a fall from grace before the series starts. He starts doing small town, you know, minor league baseball announcing works his way back up to the majors. Final season, the fourth season, jumps 10 years ahead. So we're like in the future of baseball, the future of society. And in that point, they they make a joke about Tom Cruise replacing all of his organs every six months. Just like, I got to stay young. So I thought that was pretty funny. What you were saying, that because Tom Cruise never let himself get out of shape. Like, I feel like Hanks has let himself get out of shape for roles because Cruz has basically, you know, stayed looking young to be a movie star as opposed to just, like, playing yeah. incredible parts, right? Like, it's a yeah. different it's a different track he took.
1: Because because how old was this character supposed to be during all this? Like, his 30s, his 40s? Like, how old was this guy when this is going on? Because I'm like, this would have been a, a, a crazy Chris Pine role. Like, that would have been amazing. Like, you know, I love Cruz here, don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying, like, I started saying like you know you could have definitely given this to someone and they would have just like wherever they were at the time it would have just catapulted their career into the stratosphere
0: he was 46 when he was killed so he was between 38 oh. and 46 yeah so you could have gotten like a
1: Chris to do this <laughs> one my, yeah one of the Hollywood Chris's could have stepped up and done this too and everything but like yeah I, I think it's But just, 2017 you know, Hanks you don't think so I don't think so unfortunately no do you but, think like, what
0: other role could he play
1: uh, Escobar
0: no <laughs> that would be that would be crazy <laughs> that would be a real Vinny Chase situation yeah <laughs> I do want to say that, like, we basically saw this movie kind of in Hanks' filmography already. Like, this is Catch Me If You Can. Like, Cruise is the Leo part.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I mentioned it earlier and stuff, but, like, absolutely, like, just the idea of, um, you know, the CIA and, you know, having someone, you know, eluding the CIA, but then even at the end of that movie, working for the people who were
0: trying to catch you and all that
1: kind of... I was, yeah, definitely.
0: Does Tom Cruise run in this movie? I'm sure he does a couple times, but I know one specifically is when he chases after the gremlin right before it. Explodes. Yeah. Does he run any other time? I think he starts running when they're
1: invading the mansion when, like, the Federales come right before he's thrown in jail and everyone's like, stay here, it's all right, it's all right. And
0: then (laughs) I think he starts running there, but not for sure. And then, of course, we found Harperfect on Twitter who said you could replace... I wonder if Harperfect knows... Probably not. We found Harperfect (laughs) on Twitter who said you could replace Tom Cruise's name in any movie with the name Lightning McQueen and not a thing would change. Could Barry Seal not CIA be named Lightning McQueen,
1: I don't see why not. I wouldn't be surprised if some people actually refer to him as Lightning. (laughs) Right? Like, if he's called El Gordo
0: in real life, he might as well
1: be called Lightning in the movie. Plus, Lightning's white and he's white and, like... It would be a funny sort of nickname for a gringo. I, you know, I don't know. It just makes sense, kind of like all kinds of sense. Yeah. Well, I guess lightning can also be like purple and yellow too. So I don't want to, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah,
0: don't want to. Let's let's not be racist about lightning. Exactly. All right. The golden couches, the cruisies. Is there anything in American Made that we could we could rename that we can name the oh, the awards after? Um. The golden pilot wings. The pilot wings? The golden wings? Probably not. No, it'd have to be like something to do with drugs or
1: something or...
0: Well, I'm just thinking like he's know. a pilot in this and he's a pilot in Top Gun and I'm wondering if... Oh, okay. I don't know. Like, I don't love that but there's at least there's a, there's a thematic connection there. The golden so. landing gear? That kind of rolls off the tongue a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> like, the golden couches... I no, no offense to Kate. I love Kate. I'm not a huge fan of the golden couches. I think the cruisies is probably better but we still got time. We still got one more movie. Yeah. Maybe we'll, we'll figure it out... Or will uh, what's kind of nice about the cruises? I
1: think that'll be the first time we use the actor's actual name in the award. Whereas, like every other award show, it was based on like you know the hot dogs, the peaches. The this, the reason the, that. I thought
0: of it was because for Zack Attack, we did the Zephy. so we called them Zephy. We called it the Zephy. so that's oh, actually yeah, what yeah. inspired it. But okay. yeah, because that I think we were boxing ourselves in because I feel like the cruises is right there for the taking, right? So that's it's starting to really uh rub off on me. I like it, yeah. Best film, yes or no? I mean, we're going to have to cut this down because there's a bunch on here, but is this one of Tom Cruise's, say, ten best movies?
1: I mean, I, th- I think so. I mean, it's right. one of my... F- I mean, does it count if it's one of, like, my favorite Tom Cruise movies? I mean, that should...
0: I mean, we could put it on there, and then, okay. you know, in reality, you and I are going to sit down very soon and just cut all these down, so it might get cut okay. very shortly, but we can, for now, absolutely. All right. It's on the short list. It's on the here short list goes. for the short list. Best Cruise role, Barry Seal, yes or no? Um... Who else is on? I mean, I want
1: to say yes, but like I feel like He's getting wedged out by a couple other... Pro-
0: we'll put him on there for now, and then okay. we'll come back to it. <laughs> I just he, want to say yes for everything. It's not no, right? It's mm-hmm. not no. Right, right, right. Most badass role, I'm going to say no. He's like the opposite of being a badass in this movie. Okay. Most daring role to take, no. Mm-hmm. Best fight, we, only see the, we don't even see the one fight where he gets his right. ass kicked, so no. Best theme song, soundtrack, score. I feel like there could have been more... Like, the funky opening is great, but I don't remember music otherwise. Do you?
1: I mean, there's a lot of, like, period music... That they use throughout here. Like a lot of good sort of classic rock and everything. But uh,
0: there's no like score or any particular song they use as like a theme that sticks out. Best vehicle chase race. I'm just going to say landing a plane in suburbia. Yeah, in American Maine, right? Best dance scene. No. Best cruise outfit wardrobe. Do we want to say being covered in cocaine? Is that an outfit? <laughs> it counts for me if it counts for you. But I'm leaving it in your hands. <laughs> Best Sunglasses. Again, cool, but not necessarily memorable, right? Right, right. Best death, uh, yeah, killed by the cartel. Best line... I'm the gringo that always delivers? I mean, it's pretty good. I mean, it's the line of the movie, so I guess if it's any line, it's going to be that one. I do not envy future us in terms of having to call these down, because there's so many lines here. Oh,
1: I'll be brutal. I, I nothing sacred.
0: Best freakout? No,
1: I don't think. He's, like, freaking out the whole movie, right? So it's hard to, like, pinpoint a specific
0: freakout moment. Right. Best sex scene? Yes. We haven't had a best sex oh, scene in a long time, absolutely. zero yeah. G sex. American made that could that could win it all I mean I don't think the fans are gonna vote for it but like we might <laughs> most athletic feet I mean no? he's fl- flying the airplanes and stuff I guess you know John Travolta can do it I guess it's not I guess it's <laughs> not that best running scene no best or worst love story I feel like it's not nah. it has the potential to be really fun it has the potential to break really bad but I think it just kind of it's it it serves the story yeah it
1: doesn't really focus on it it's It's just a component.
0: And now here, I know this is, you know, like we were talking about before, this is kind of just the Tom Cruise show, but best ensemble or best non-Cruise actor, male or female, do we want to nominate? Like, the ensemble is great, hmm. but they don't have a ton to do, right? right and I don't right. know, even like if we put Domhnall Gleeson up against, you know, Cruz's best male co-stars or Sarah Wright, like, they're no. really good in the movie, but they're, there's not a lot of them, right? So right. it'll have to settle for, as of right now, seven nominations, Best okay. Film, Best Role, Best Vehicle Chase Race, Best Outfit Wardrobe, Best Death, Best Line, and Best Sex Scene. All right. Cool? Sounds not good. Not bad. Like as this episode comes out on June 5th, Happy June, our first episode in June. Ooh. Also today on Hanks for the Memories, the other Tom Tom Club podcast, go check that one out. We have The Great Buck Howard, a movie that I think I incorrectly last time said Tom Hanks directed. He did not direct. He's just in a small part. But his son, Colin Hanks, is the one of the two leads with John Malkovich. So go check that out. And then next week, of course, we've got Mission Impossible Fallout, the final, for now, Tom Cruise movie. And then on Hanks for the Memories next week, Mike, we're going another literary adventure. Oh boy. Angels and demons. We're back at it. We're back <clears throat> more, at it.
1: more cryptics, more codes of all that Bible stuff. Get it's- get ready for an adventure. <laughs> I was trying yeah. I was trying
0: there. <laughs> It, it kind of worked. So, you know, I, I, I appreciate the effort. Well, for all things Cruise Club and Hanks of the Memories and all 27 shows in the network, including Third Times of Charm, you go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at club pod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, run, R U N, at cageclub.me. Come back, like I said, next time for Mission Impossible Fallout. Check out every Friday, Hanks of the Memories. High School Slumber Party, and for now, also Too Fast, Too Forever. We are, we're winding down. We've got, I think, next week, and then three more episodes in a row, a couple of weeks off, and then a Cruisies, or whatever, TBD Awards. But Cruises. we're nearing the end. I like
1: Cruisies. It's really sticking.
0: Cool. I hope it does.
1: I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike
0: Manzi. And we'll see you next time, right here on Cruise Club.